Well, um, this is the third week of Advent, and as you can see from the Advent candle, it's kind of a, a it's been a long-standing church tradition to light a candle each week as we build up to the Advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, um, and we're also collectively in the season looking not just at his first coming, but we're also expectantly looking to his second coming as we were waiting for that as Christians. So there's a sense in which Israel was waiting for the Messiah to come. We are also now waiting for the Messiah to come again and to make everything right. And, um, and so that's, that's part of the anticipation and hope as we build through the season. And so just to review briefly before we get into today's message, today we're going to be talking about the witness of people. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the various witnesses of the Messiah um, so, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Rick talked about the witness of um, prophets and the prophetic voice in the Old Testament. And we, there was a sense in which um, the prophets were really tasked with hearing from God and conveying that to the people. So, as we talked about all the promises in the Old Testament um, that the prophets shared about the Messiah, there was a, there's a certain um, purity to those messages, right? They were confirmed over years, they were canonized in scripture, and they were, they were shared, and we still read them today, and we can see the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises, and there's also, again, some of those promises we talked about in the Old Testament that haven't been fulfilled yet. Um, for instance, Jesus being king, he did establish his kingdom when he came, but his kingdom hasn't come yet in fullness, and so we talked about the, the witness of prophets the first week. Last week, Derek shared about the witness of angels the angelic testimony about Jesus and who he was. And that was a beautiful, we saw some beautiful pictures throughout scripture, some of those threads in the Old Testament, down to the actual Advent story where, um, where the angels came and announced um, the birth of Jesus, both to Mary and Joseph and to the uh, shepherds. Uh, and so we looked at angelic witness. Now, what's interesting is both of those witnesses are very, um, well, I would say more pure in their form, right? Um, there's a sense in which the witness of the prophets and the witness of um, angels both are this kind of pure form of witness, meaning um, they were kind of from God um, but in both cases. They were really, uh, both the prophets as well as the angels were really te- bearing the testimony of God to people. The witness of people about the Messiah is really interesting. As I was kind of diving into this subject, uh, I was really interested to see where God would kind of lead in it. And what was really interesting and what became really clear really quickly was that human witness is messy. <laughs> um, if you look at, you know, and I was looking through the whole kind of like the Advent storyline, everything from Zechariah and Elizabeth to, um, to Herod even, to the angels, the Magi, um, we have Simeon and Anna, who, after Jesus' birth, were kind of confirmed some prophetic words. We don't really have recorded a lot of what their words were, but we, we definitely, they bear witness to the Messiah and to his rule. But it's really interesting because there's this really weird mix of a lot of different things. Um, and the story is, is a lot messier. And I think what, I th- uh, what is beautiful about it is that we, we looked at both of these pure examples of God speaking through the prophets, God sending angels to bear this testimony, and then it gets, and then it gets absorbed by, the, by humans, and as they process that, they re- react differently to it. Um, so I'm gonna, w- my goal is to really just walk through some of those, and then I believe there's one voice in particular that God's um, pointing us to this Sunday to look at that's 
that is kind of stands above the rest, that kind of is, stands out in Scripture, and we'll kind of walk through that piece by piece, um, and then we'll kind of wrap up. But um, so walking through these human witnesses um, was really interesting. First, I'll call attention to Zechariah. So I was reading some, some commentaries about Zechariah. Um, if you guys have seen um, the movie, the... Uh, movie called that we always watch uh the the nativity story so it was done a few years ago they do a really good job of conveying actually the narrative of Zechariah. i mean he's called to go into the temple and sacrifice incense it was his time as a priest to be able to go before before the temple i was reading about it and that was pretty much a once in a lifetime thing and and most priests that that went and, and did various things in the temple i mean he was in the holy place in the holiest of holies and and honestly, like, not many people had that opportunity to actually burn incense before the Lord. It was like most people never got a chance to do that in their entire lifetime. And this was the moment for him and for his wife Elizabeth was, like, the, a big deal. I mean, this is like you live your whole life waiting to do something like this. And he gets to go in there. He goes in there. The angel kind of comes to him as he's burning incense and says, your prayer is heard. And as I was digging into some of the commentary, the commentator uh, that I was reading was actually, um, Bruce was pointing to this reality that he probably wasn't praying for a son. In all likelihood, there was usually not a time for people to offer personal prayer before the Lord there. They were usually offering prayer on the behalf of the, the nation Israel. And so it's likely and was kind of suggested that he probably was praying for Israel's redemption. Which is really interesting because, given the context, he said, "Hey, Zechariah, your your prayer has been heard, and you're going to have a son." <laughs> and so, he, you know, he's just like imagine going. You're praying for Israel's redemption for the Messiah to come, and he goes, "I've heard your prayer. Your prayer has been answered, and you're going to have a son." And, and in his old age, they were probably close to 100 years old. They were going, "We're going to have a kid." Like, and and he his response was doubt about um, God's word because. The angel's response was he was silenced for the rest of his pregnant uh, for the rest of his wife's pregnancy. So the, God's word was fulfilled, the promise was f- fulfilled, and John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus, who was actually a prophet himself that was kind of paving the way for Jesus to come. But Zechariah did play a role in the Messiah's coming, but his voice was silenced for the entirety of the pregnancy because he didn't believe and he doubted. So we see first off out, out of the gate that. God is going to fulfill his promise, and you can either partner with him or you can doubt. And doubt is okay, because we'll, we'll look at another testimony that has shared some doubt in it. But it's interesting to see Zechariah's response is less than perfect, right? Um, the Magi mysteriously appear in Jerusalem. They visit the Messiah, and then they avoid Herod on his departure. They're warned in a dream, and they leave. So their testimony conveys curiosity and faith. I mean, they're coming from this probably ancient Near East they're not, they're not Jewish. They, they come and they share these gifts and they travel a long distance um, to share, but they're really not given a voice in the narrative. We just see the fact that they even make this journey, that they come, that their curiosity and their, their awe, their sense of awe is so great that they're drawn to come to Jerusalem to then go to Bethlehem and to find the baby Jesus and to share these gifts with them. The shepherds, we see their testimony. I mean, again, there's no written testimony about what they what they said. They were they were there was fear and awe there when they saw the angels come and start singing. But then there was they 
they, their curiosity was piqued as well. They were like, let's go check this out, and they went. Um, and then also Joseph's journey, if we look at his, his testimony, it's really interesting because as Joseph um, became aware of his wife's pregnancy, we have to understand like the cultural stigmas in that day of a Jewish person to marry a woman that was pregnant was, was really bad. Um, and honestly, like, he took the higher road because he could have said, hey, she's, she's been unfaithful, um, she's committed adultery, and she should be stoned. He didn't. He chose to privately divorce her. He didn't want to shame her publicly, but he was still ashamed. And there's a sense in which he's going, there's some shame that he's bearing here. And that was his desire to privately divorce her. So he's still an honorable man. We see that kind of character in him, but he, he's wrestling with this thing, right? He, he doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't see the full picture and he's confused and he's, on, he's still tr- choosing the high road and he could have gone a different path, but, and then the angel visits him and gives him this word and says, this, this baby that is in Mary is from the Holy Spirit and you're gonna name him Jesus. And so then he comes to Mary and he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt this, this son as my own. This is, not my, this is not my son by birth, but I, he's mine because I'm going to, to be his father, which is a beautiful picture of adoption. We could talk about that. That's, I mean, we talked with our kids about that. I, I think it's such a beautiful picture of, of people who choose to adopt because it's, it's not your blood relative, right? It's not from you, but you're choosing to bring this child in and say, this is my own. And so his, his journey is interesting because he kind of makes this shift. We see him, he's wanting to privately divorce Mary, still do the honorable thing in his culture, and then the angel comes and he goes, okay, I'm uh, all in. <laughs> and he believes, and he just trusts, and he walks, walks with Mary through this thing that honestly we see later in some hints at in, in the Gospels that this was a, a badge of shame that they carried with them probably their entire lives. Mary was, you know, basically... The Pharisees and the religious leaders called out Jesus and said, hey, this is, uh, you're an, an Ill, um, illegitimate son, like a bastard, basically. They, they, they looked at Jesus and said, you're, you're not, you're, your mother was, was unfaithful. So it's something that they probably dealt with this sense of shame around this their entire lives that were never understood, but yet they chose to follow God into this, which I think is beautiful. Um, and then we come to Herod. And, you know, when we look at human testimony, the human witness, I, I put Herod in there because his, he did bear a witness about the Messiah, and it wasn't a good witness. It was a horrible witness. Um, but his response to the Messiah is fear. He starts inquiring when, when the Magi come to a town. These, these, I mean, imagine you're in Jerusalem, and these weird people from the, the ancient Near East that are such a cultural uh, difference, and they're going, hey, we, we've seen these signs. We've come to worship the uh, Messiah, the, the uh, king. And Herod's like, what, what, what king is this? And he kind of starts inquiring of them and trying to figure out. And he goes, hey, let me know where, where you find them so I can come and worship him. Well, his intentions were not to worship Jesus. His intentions were to destroy Jesus. And he tried. And um, here his response is murderous rage in response to a threat to his rule. So his response is seeing, hey, there's this king. And he goes, I want nothing to do with this. I'm going to try to stamp it out. And you know, the dark part of the Advent narrative and the, and the Christmas story is this part of the, the narrative we don't talk about often, but um, there's a fulfillment of Jeremiah, a prophecy in Jeremiah that there was heard great weeping and lament, and 
basically Herod had every child from two and under killed. Every male child in Bethlehem was, was killed. And I think it's, it's easy to just overlook this and kind of move on because it's not something we want to talk about or think about at Christmas. But, I mean, this is horrifying, right? This is his witness of the Messiah is, I don't want this him to rule. I'm going to kill a bunch of, of babies and kids. And um, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to think about those parents um, that had to walk through that and live with that the rest of their lives, losing their, their male children to and under the entire city. I mean, that, again, bears some similarity to Moses' story of how Pharaoh tried to drown the Israelite children. Um, he didn't want them to rise up in, in power. And again, threat to human power. My son asked me last night, he goes, Daddy, we were talking about some of the kings of Israel. And he goes, why, why are all the kings pretty much bad? <laughs> and, and I was like, it was a great question because I was like, even today, I'm like, man, power corrupts. Um, and it was, I haven't really fully answered it for him because we were taking him up to bed. So I was like, I can't really answer this before bed. But, <laughs> you know, that there's a sense in which that there's this ache, right? There's this ache that we feel in this part of the story, which Herod is abusing this power and using it to destroy a bunch of babies. Like, that's horrifying and bad. But that's a witness, right? There's a witness to, to the, the fear of someone else's rule. And, we, and again, we, we know as, as believers, like, that, that fear is unfounded. Like, God's rule wasn't to, to take over and destroy people, but it was to lead them into life, into fullness of life. The last witness that I'll mention, human witness, is John the Baptist, and I was just thinking of this one this morning, and, you know, his witness is a little bit outside the, the advent, the traditional advent narrative, but he's born, um, the Holy Spirit's upon him from birth. I mean, he's testifying, points to a Jesus, he baptizes Jesus, he says, this is the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but the end of his, his life, his very last testimony witness is, he sends his, his followers to Jesus and, and he asks the question, are you the Messiah or are we expecting another? And I include this in the story because as I was thinking about it, like, again, we, we may have the picture from um, Zechariah that doubt is bad and I don't believe that it is. I believe doubt is a normal human thing that we should all, we kind of need to normalize as Christians. Zechariah's doubt was, there was something different about it that God kind of called out and 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 pun- not punished him, but responded by, by silencing him. Um, but John the Baptist has this real doubt. He's, he's going, is this really the, uh, the, the Messiah? He's in prison. He's about to die. He's wrestling with this thing. And Jesus sends him the response is Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. He leaves off the part about the captives being set free, which is kind of funny because John was a captive there. So I think it was a, maybe a hidden message of like, you're, you're, you're not going to get out of prison, buddy. But, but these promises are being fulfilled. These promises are being fulfilled that this, God is fulfilling his promise in Isaiah 61, that, that people are being healed, that lives are being changed, that God's kingdom is coming. And so, again, he's, he reaffirmed for, uh, for John this sense of faith through his word. And the, the thing that he sent John was like, hey, these, these are being fulfilled. This is coming true. So, we can see, you know, just at a cursory look at some of these things, the witness is all over the place. There are a lot of faithful witnesses that affirmed Jesus' uh, messiahship, the fact that he was the king. The one that I was drawn to the most, that's probably given the most clear, like, annunciation in the scriptures and kind of, like, lifted up above the rest, was Mary's testimony. 
um, we do see Zechariah after he, his son is born, his voice comes back and he, he glorifies the Lord with this beautiful song. But that, even that, those words that he spoke were more about his son, John the Baptist, than they were about Jesus. But it's still part of that story. He does, he does have a chance to redeem that kind of that sense of um, disbelief that he had. But the one voice that the scripture kind of gives us clear picture of, and I, and I was really drawn to it and felt like this is what God's really putting before us this Christmas is Mary. Mary's song, and it's historically in the church called the Magnificat, which I've always thought was funny. I just, I picture this like, I just think of a cat, like a magnificent cat, which I'm, I'm not a cat person, so I, kind of weird to me, but it's actually a Latin, and it really means to magnify. It means uh, to, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, which is the first line of her song. And what I want to point to here is that we were given this really clear, beautiful song in Mary's response when she goes and visits Elizabeth. And again, remember, this is in the middle of the kind of messy swirl that she was in, right? She's pregnant. She's probably starting to show. She's, she's hanging out with, with Elizabeth, who God had fulfilled this beautiful promise to Zechariah and, and uh, Elizabeth. And she goes and visits Elizabeth and Zechariah. Um, it was probably some great girl time because the guy, he, he, the husband wasn't talking at all, so they probably were just <laughs> chatting it up, and, and he could say nothing, and uh, um, they're hanging out, but um, we see this beautiful song, and it really mir- it kind of reflects and echoes this, this tradition in the Old Testament. We see Miriam sing this song after Moses and the people walk over the Red Sea. We see Deborah after she kind of leads Israel as a judge. Um, Barak gets kind of credit for it, but really, Deborah gets this beautiful song, and she's kind of looked at as this leader in, in Israel at the time, as well as Hannah, who was, was barren and bore a son. They all had these songs, beautiful songs of worship in the Old Testament, and so we see this beautiful song that Mary responds with when she visits um, Elizabeth, and so what I want to do this morning as we wrap up is just read this and, and talk about what it means for us. So I'm going to pick up, and um, if you have a Bible, flip to Luke 1. 45. We'll start there. If you don't, um, just listen along and, and I'll read it. And, um, and we'll, we'll walk through it really, really briefly. So as soon as Mary walks up and, and speaks, um, Elizabeth, the baby in her womb, jumps for a joy, leaps um, in the womb. So there's this excitement and actually, as Mary came and spoke, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, which I think is just beautiful as a mother of this, holding this child. Like, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she says in verse 45 to Mary, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary responds with this song, Mary's song of praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. 
and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. So we, we have this picture of this song that expresses God's power and his might, but also God's wisdom in that he's putting down the proud, he's putting down the, the rich, and he's lifting up the, the, the lowly and the humble. And you got to remember, Israel in this, in this context, in this time, was, was oppressed by Rome. They were also oppressed by their own pre- religious rulers. Herod was this kind of weird king where he, was, he wasn't the high priest in Israel, but he was sort of a king over Israel. He was part, you know, he was part Jewish. He was also part, um, part connected with the Roman power structures of that day. And so corruption was, was abounding. And here, Mary just, she sings first about her own personal experience, which I love. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's recognizing, my spirit rejoices in you, God. You're my Savior. And he is, you've looked on the lowliness of his servant. She's talking about herself there. And she says, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's not being arrogant or prideful there. She's really just going, this is a, a, a massive thing. And this, this really demonstrates her faith. Because she believes that this promise sent by the angel. And imagine no one else around you believes you at all. You're saying, hey, I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit. I mean, if, if any of your teenage daughters came to you guys today and said that, hey, I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit, what would you say? I mean, your response would be, no way. I mean, it would be the same today as it was back then, which is, that's not from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you're in trouble. Um, no. Um, but seriously, like, there's a sense in which she so believes God's promise that she goes, every generation from now on is going to call me blessed because I got to bear, I mean, she's really actually putting herself in this lowly position going, I can't believe that I got picked to bear the Messiah, to bear God's, I mean, imagine the weight and the pressure of that, but also the like, holy cow, I'm the one, like God chose me for some reason, I don't know why, and, and she goes, the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name, and then she goes on to, to really talk about this beautiful kind of kingdom language about God's tearing down this power structures and thrones. He's lifting up the lowly. He's helping to serve in Israel. He's really fulfilling the promise to Israel that he said he would do. And at the end, he, I love in verse 55, she says, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham. All the way back to, Ab- to Genesis 12, where God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole nations of the earth through you. I mean, Mary is here echoing this, this thread of, through Scripture of going, God's fulfilling that promise. It's coming true. It's happening through me. And that's just an incredible song. Uh, and it expresses this full of joy worship response to God fulfilling his promise by sending the uh, Messiah. She's humbled that she gets to be the one to carry the child and God's promise. And so really, what I love um, is that this, this whole testimony of Mary can be distilled down into this one thought, which is God fulfilling his promises. And I really just two words, promises fulfilled. God fulfills his promises. And, and again, we, see, we saw this thread a little bit in John the Baptist um, going, hey, Jesus, is, are you really the Messiah? And he goes, the lame walk, the blind are given sight is this fulfillment of scripture. The promises are coming true. This, I am the Messiah. This is, this is real. And um, even um, Rick pointed out to me this morning, he sent me this verse in Luke 1.1, 1, 1, a quote from the NIV here. It says, many have t- undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. There's even a sense which Luke, as he begins his gospel, is going, hey, this, here's an account of the things that have been fulfilled. And this idea of fulfillment means there's a promise. There's a hope. There's 
there's a sense in which we are given all these promises in Scripture, and then they come true. And, and here's how I want to connect it to us, because I want to talk about our song now. We talked about Mary's song, but how does her song join with our song? How does this join with 2018, right? We're here in 2018. We're living in the midst of a confusing world, to say the least. We're living through death, cancer, sin, corruption, depravity, heavy hearts, right? And for this time of year, for some of us, is a reminder of the people that, that are not here with us. Um, it's a reminder of the things, the relationships that are not great right now. And, or it's a reminder of just loss, you know, or, or it's a reminder that things are not right all the time in this world. And that can feel heavy and dark, but where it joins with us is that in the same way as Mary heard this amazing word from God, she just believed it wholeheartedly, and she said, God's fulfilling his promise. He's fulfilling this whole promise, and he's doing it through me. And I believe that God is calling us today to, to step into this and go, what promise, God, are you have you promised us that you haven't fulfilled yet? Maybe it's a child that you have that has walked away from God, that has abandoned the faith, that, is, that has stepped out of walking with the, the, the true and living God and your heart's broken over it. Maybe it's disease, cancer. Maybe it's a death that's, that's impending or it's, it's, maybe it's a death you've experienced, a loss. Or it's a broken relationship, whatever it is. I believe that God is, is actually calling us today to go, what promise... What promises have you given us, God? And also, what promise specifically are you wanting to reaffirm to me? And how can we step into that and join in Mary's song? By singing our own song, like Mary, and saying, yes, God, you fulfill it. You do it. It's you. It's not me. It's not us trying to conjure up or better our own lives or improve ourselves. It's us going, no, God, you, you spoke. You said a promise. And I'm going to claim that promise for myself. And I'm going to believe that you're going to fulfill your promises. And I see in Mary... I see in John the Baptist, I see that Jesus is, is, is pointing us to this fact. I see that you're fulfilling promises. That as Mary said, God, you've, you've fulfilled your promise to Israel and you're doing it. And she stepped into it and she lived into it for her entire life. And I believe that God's calling us today to, uh, to the same thing. And, and again, I would actually point us to what promises it. There's singing to Philippians 1 6, where Jesus promises, uh, as Paul writes, that I will complete the good work that I began in you that I'm going to finish the work. And maybe you feel today like, man, I'm a mess. Maybe it's just personal. Maybe it's not external circumstances that are, that are troubling you. Maybe it's your own, it's a, it's a sin that you're wrestling with, you're fighting with, that you just can't get from under it and feel like you, can, you cannot move past it. Or maybe it's just this feeling inside. Maybe it's emotions. Maybe it's depression. I don't know what it is. But I know that God is calling us today to step into with Mary and, and to receive his promise. And that doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy in our, in our lives or it's going to work out the fairy tale ending that I think we, we sometimes long after or pine after. It's going to be real. It's going to be gritty. Life is, is hard, but it's good. And I think as we, as we look at the story, we are waiting like, like, like Mary. We're waiting for God to fulfill all of his promises. Because they all haven't been fulfilled yet. We haven't experienced that fullness. But she didn't hesitate. Mary didn't hesitate to trust that God would fulfill his work through her. 
And I believe he wants to do the same in us. So the question I want to leave us with, and um, we can start to transition to worship here. I think the kids are going to be brought in in about five minutes. Um, and again, is it, is it nursery? That, preschool. Okay, if you have preschool kids, um, as we kind of transition to worship, uh, um, you can go pick them up. Um, the other kids will be brought in, and you can, you can grab your kids, and they'll join in our, our worship time together. But the question I want to leave us with, and um, Peter and, and the, and, um, is going to come up and start to lead us in song, but I really want to ask the question is, what specifically is God speaking to you today, asking you to trust his promise in? What promise is it for you? And so for this first song, we're going to do communion afterwards. But really, I want to focus this in for this, just this first song. I want you guys to take some quiet time with, with God and really sit in this question. What promise is God speaking to you that you need to trust him for? What promise has God spoken over you? And maybe you don't know, so that's why you just we want to have a time to listen and listen to what God is speaking to you personally. And maybe it's something for this church. Maybe it's something for your family. Maybe it's something that's broader than just you. But I would ask us to really ask this question and say, God, what promise do I need to hear today and do I need to just walk and trust in like Mary did? Because I believe that God wants us to hear from him today. And I believe God wants us to step into that in the way that Mary did and just full-hearted trust. Trust in spite of all the circumstances around because it will be in spite of the circumstances around because we wouldn't need to trust if the circumstances around were perfect, right? So it, it implies this, yes, there's gonna be this jump, this leap over to just trusting God and trusting in what he wants to do in our lives, what he wants to, uh, to do in our families and our church and our community. And I believe that that promise is something God wants to speak to each one of us today and to bring hope into and the hope of Christmas, which is that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to fulfill the promises. Jesus came to give us the power to walk through this life and trust him. And I believe God's asking us to, to do that today. So I'm gonna pray. And then let's take this first song before we do communion to really listen to God and see what he would speak to us. And God, I just thank you so much. I thank you, God, that your promises never fail. I thank you that nothing can stop your love from reaching us, God. I thank you that no matter what we walk through in this life, no matter how crazy or how hard it seems, that your promise is true, God, that you fulfilled your promise. And we can see it in Mary, God. We can see so clearly that you fulfilled so many promises through her but you fulfilled promises to each one of us, God, and that you want to do that again today. And I ask that you would speak to us, God. I ask that you would come and minister to our hearts right now and give us hope where we need it, God, and ask and help us to step into it. Help us to just to walk into it, God, with you. I pray that your voice would be heard and I pray that you would be here in our midst, God. I thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness to us. You never give up on us, God. And I thank you that we can just trust you no matter what. We just pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name.